0: welcome to the mornings with sue and andy podcast for wednesday august 11th we begin with olympic wrestler and gold medalist erica weeb who just arrived back in calgary after competing in the tokyo games erica shares her olympic experience and what she has planned for the future Still on the topic of the Olympics, there's been talk recently of a possible boycott of the 2022 Winter Games in Beijing. We get reaction from someone who's been there. We speak with former Olympian and gold medal winner Diane Jones konahowski who missed her chance to compete in Moscow back in 1980 due to a boycott. Then it's our weekly chat with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. We discuss treatments for COVID-19 other than the many vaccines now available, including the controversial drug Ivermectin. And finally, it's the return of a classic. We hear details on this year's edition of the Shaw Charity Classic. We hear about the many charities that will benefit from the event and the big names who will be taking to the course this year. Very excited. A member of Team Canada at the Tokyo Olympics, and she is back home in Calgary. Welcome to the program, Olympic champion Erica Weeb. Good morning to you, Erica. Good morning, Andrew. It's an honor to be here today. It's great to have you. We're going to talk about your Olympic experience you know, as a whole and, and get back to your gold medal previously, but I want to talk about these Tokyo uh, Games and, and how they felt differently and, and how the whole thing felt because I know that watching it, you still held that Canadian pride watching our athletes, but was it different for you? Wow. Well, yes. (laughs) To say it surely,
1: yes. It was a completely different experience from anything I've had. I was in the London 2012 Games as a training partner. Obviously, I won in Rio. And then in Tokyo, I mean, the restrictions, the challenges, and even getting there, there were so many months that we weren't even sure if the Games were going to happen um and then you know there was hours of wait times at the airport even to get into the country and then every day we did a saliva test and you know what though at the end of the day when you got onto the onto the field of play when i stepped onto the wrestling mat wrestling is just wrestling the volunteers are amazing the coaches my team was amazing and uh, and it was the olympic games and you know lots of things were different but i still felt like the energy the unity that we feel as a country, that we feel as Team Canada, it was all there as well.
0: You know, uh, technically, it it isn't a team sport, but I know you have your your teammates on Team Canada, you've got your coaching staff, and so I know it kind of feels like a family, but I'm wondering, when you're that lasered in, on the mat, doing your thing, how important is a crowd? Like, does it matter that much to you? I know you didn't have a crowd this time out, but are you uh, noticing the crowd, if there is one or isn't one there?
1: No, you know, I don't think so. I mean, it, in Rio, it was a packed crowd. People say it was extremely loud. I had literally like 30 people from Calgary there watching me in Rio, and I didn't hear them at all. You know, I mean, maybe I could feel the energy, in the, but you know, subconsciously. But you know, when we competed in Tokyo, it's it just you laser in focus. I can hear my coach's voice, and that's it. That's all. And so, it was really sad for my family and my friends to mm-hmm. not be able to travel to Tokyo, but. um As far as the performances go, you know, it didn't affect a lot of Team Canada athletes. It was just so amazing to see so many people come home with some really strong performances.
0: I want to bring it back to something you referenced earlier, Erica, and that is the are the games going to happen are they not going to happen where are we and when we watch somebody like yourself when we watch any athlete in their sport we see the pure athleticism we see the years of athletic ability but let's talk about that mental aspect for a second and you know having that stop and go and stop and go Uh, and how do you keep things straight um, not knowing exactly if or when you're going to compete
1: It is a very big challenge, but I think that's something that athletes have to go through, you know, every day of their lives. There's this like inherent adaptability and resilience that's required in sport, you know, in the sport of wrestling, like anything can happen. Um, You know, we deal with injuries, we deal with changes to the schedule. We, You know, there's been so many times that the bus hasn't showed up to take us to a venue and then you miss warm up and you have to find a way to compete. (laughs) And so, you know, just all of this stopping, starting and this uncertainty and, and the challenges of the global pandemic. Yeah, it took that all to a whole other level. But it was just, you know, the years of building up that adaptation, that resiliency that, you know. Led me and, and obviously a number of Canadian athletes and athletes around the world to find a way to rise up and compete and come together and find joy in the movement.
0: All right, let's talk about the, particularly the very beginning. Uh, we were at home watching and understanding, you know, the medal counts and it just kept. Another woman has won a medal. Another woman has won a medal for Canada. Uh, Was this really uh, the uh, Olympics for women in Canadian sport? And uh, Does that really mean anything to you, or or is it just a case of uh, uh, whatever gender it may be, a Canadian has won a medal?
1: Well, you know, I was part of the wave of women that won medals in Rio as well, and even before that in London. You know, we've had this kind of slow rise of, of women athletes in Canada leading the way, and I think it does speak to the uh, the kind of privilege that it is to be a young woman growing up in Canada. I think we have so many rights, so many opportunities, equal opportunities to, to play, to do what we love, what we're passionate about. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why we're so competitive on the world stage. Um, that being said, we have a number of amazing male talent. and uh, And, you know, I think if we had a lot. I'm going to say something a little controversial, but maybe if we had a, lot of, a little bit of young boys who played other sports other than hockey, we could see that equal amount of uh, success on the international stage in, in amateur sports.
0: You said it, and I think it's a fair comment, absolutely. I want to ask you about, you mentioned the the workup and the actual games themselves, but how about a behind-the-scenes look as far as your Olympic experience when it came to the camaraderie with the other athletes from the other countries? How did that differ, uh, being a a different feel Olympics in Tokyo?
1: Well, it was really different because a number of sports chose to not stay in the Olympic Village. And so my sport was actually one of those sports as well. We decided you know, the risks, the challenges, the transportation was just too many challenges. So we ended up staying at a hotel right across from our venue for the Olympic games. We did go in and out of the village on some of our rest and recovery days, but um, we made some decisions that would affect that. And that being said, I know teams that were in the village said it was a very different feel You know, we had the risk of if there was an outbreak, every person that you were in contact with could potentially be quarantined. So athletes had to make some pretty tough choices of like, you know, who they were interacting with. That being Mm -hmm. said, um, we have every sport. It's such a tight community. And, you know, the 16 women that were in my weight class and all of the women and men in the wrestling community, we see each other all year long um, for many, many, many years. And so it's a really tight knit community, and it's kind of a celebration being at the Olympic Games. And it was really nice to to see my fellow competitors from all across the world and really celebrate the journey that we've all been on.
0: Well, congratulations on another Olympics under your belt. All the best to you. We're going to see you in more competitions. What's the future hold?
1: Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, what I felt so much is like the buoyancy of the support from everybody in my community. I mean, I went to market mall, but on my Cadillac Fairview, and they had a celebration wall celebrating all Canadian athletes. And they had my picture on the wall. Yeah. It was just amazing to hear and feel that support from back home. And, you know, the story is far from over for me. And I'm really excited to see what's next.
0: Good stuff. Thanks for taking some time out for us, Erica. We appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. That is Olympic wrestler and gold medalist. Erica Weeb, In 1980, pant Diane jones Konahowski was poised to be the best in the world in her sport. The two-time Olympian in 1972 and 1976, and the gold medal champion in the 1975 and 1979 Pan Am Games and the 1978 Commonwealth Games, was the odds-on favorite to bring home the gold in 1980 in Moscow. But a boycott by Canada over the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan ended those dreams. And with talk now of Canada boycotting next year's Winter Olympics in Beijing, uh, Diane Jones at Konohuski might have a different perspective when it comes to the athletes being asked to sacrifice what, for many, may be a a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Uh, So, To discuss further, we're joined now by Diane. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Oh, no problem at all. Good morning, Andy. How are you today?
0: Good. Very much appreciate your thoughts. and. Let's, let's go back 41 years to 1980. <laughs> yeah, to tell you, I was 12 at the time. hop back into the time machine. <laughs> go back to 1980, Moscow Games. The rug got pulled out from under you. What was your reaction after, you know, pouring so much into your sport and, you know, hearing that, uh, you know, was not going to happen?
2: Well, uh, uh, Moscow was my third Olympic Games. And my husband and I and my coach and his family, we'd moved down to Auckland, New Zealand to train down there <clears throat> for the winter. Mm-hmm. So we were... Um, looking at what was happening back in Canada, and I remember watching the news on TV in March where I saw my um, friends from the United States um, at the White House trying to dissuade President Carter from going through the games uh, with, with the boycott. So I just couldn't understand it at the time. It just didn't make sense to me. So on April 23rd, um, Corey Elliott from CFRN at Edmonton phoned me down in New Zealand just as we were heading out the door, and he said, "What, what do you think about Canada's decision? And I said, what decision? And he says, they've decided to boycott the Games. Well, I continued to just you know, be very, very honest with my thought. It was wrong. Um, You know, President Carter could have hurt Russia more by not allowing... Russia to their games in 1980 in Lake Placid in February. Mm -hmm. Why call for a summer boycott after their games? You know, and, and Aeroflot planes were still landing in Canada. We were still trading uh, wheat with them. You know, it just, it just didn't make sense to me. So I spoke out against it, Andy, and I got lambasted in the, in the newspapers. Um, but I wasn't being brainwashed by by the media, so I was very clear-headed in, in my thoughts, and t- to this day, I look back and it was still wrong. Um, so, you know, um, my husband got it, he uh, he was called a communist on the field when he was playing with the Edmonton Eskimos, the Edmonton Eskimos, the office um, got lambasted with so many calls um, mm-hmm. telling them to, you know uh let john go he was the husband of communists it was a very oh. interesting time you know uh, people were very very angry and they were very much um against my my thoughts and my comments but you know i've i've always thought that it was a very wrong decision it didn't make sense and it just hurt so many athletes
0: and coaches so i think we've got less than a minute uh, i think i might know where you're going with this when i ask <laughs> you the question about the potential to boycott 2022 in beijing your thoughts well,
2: you know what, you, you, the athletes aren't going to hurt them, right? I mean, by pulling out, uh, Japan had 204 nations, okay? The, that means that the IOC has 204 Olympic committees. They, The majority of those voted for Beijing to have these games. So right there you get an endorsement of, you know, the, the uh, political situation mm. in uh, Beijing. The sponsors, you've got seven top sponsors, um, $3 billion in Japan, Um, Is it $2 that they give towards Beijing? You could hurt China more by pulling those sponsorship dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Athletes are an easy target, um, and it doesn't cost any of the countries much. Um, But I think you just need economic sanctions, right? If we pull our athletes, it just means that the Chinese athletes will win more medals. So it doesn't prove anything, you know. But Olympic sport is big business, Andy, Mm -hmm. and if you're going to hurt China... To me, it's more around economic uh, sanctions. It's not by saying, you know, our athletes aren't going to your games. There should be about 93 nations competing in Beijing uh, next February. If 30 of those boycott, does that make a difference to Beijing? I don't know. We can't do it alone. So it's wrong to use athletes as a a tool to... um, say that you disagree with what's happening um, in China, but economic sanctions are the only way to go. But we've got bigger issues, and um, it's very unfair to not send our athletes.
0: Well, you know, thanks for your perspective this morning, Diane, and uh, thanks for spending time with us. We always appreciate having you on. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. That is Diane Jones-Konohoski, former Olympian and, obviously, gold medalist. happens to be the music of dr ted jablonski and now we have him on the line on a wednesday we had some technical difficulties on monday so we appreciate you moving days good morning to you dr jablonski
3: oh good morning
0: i want to talk about something we got a text in and this was in you have to correct the pronunciation if i'm getting it incorrectly a text wondering about ivermectin is that how i say it correctly I
3: believe Ivermectin is how it's pronounced, Okay,
0: So that is that is a drug. If you can tell us, uh, this this texter was wondering about using said drug to treat or perhaps even prevent COVID-19. What yeah. is this drug? What are its origins? What is it intended for?
3: So this is uh, interesting because uh, it's not a drug that I would be quite familiar with, so I have to do my own research on it. It appears that it came to market as an antiparasitic. So in its day... It was termed a miracle drug because there were certain parasites that would make people blind, would, would actually kill people. They were very uh, severe parasites. This drug was invented, came to, came to market, and actually saved lives, uh, saved people from blindness. So really got the tag of miracle drug uh, for these sort of tropical parasites uh now i'm not naive enough to believe that some drugs come to market as one thing but their real purpose can be in another area and we do sometimes see this we have antibiotics that have anti-inflammatory properties so some people with arthritis get benefit from being on an antibiotic mm-hmm. which is a, you know initially meant to kill bacteria so occasionally there is a crossover but i would make a strong case for this drug that there really is very poor science against it when we talk about COVID, a virus this being an anti-parasite drug, and we have therapies that are actually quite effective, i.e. the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So somebody not taking a vaccine thinking, well, maybe ivermectin will, will protect me against COVID uh, is basically walking away from a proven therapy to a completely unproven therapy.
0: Okay, so you, you you're saying, and I mean, I I'd say in the past that some drugs intended for one purpose can't have another. But you know, and maybe years down the line we'll find out. But just a little on the risky side to try something radical at this point.
3: Yes, I mean, I don't think we have. Well, I shouldn't say anything that there there have been small studies. There looks like there it might have some antiviral property, mm-hmm. but again, we have proven therapies. Uh, so, what's what's the proof of of our vaccines working? If we look in a hospital right now, um, in ICUs and hospitals, people with COVID, um, who is getting it? If you the, the grouping that have had two vaccines for more than two weeks, mm-hmm. I believe the quoted the rate is under one percent of all the deaths are now in that grouping. Wow. The vaccine seems highly effective at stopping. Uh, people from dying from COVID, and very highly effective from even getting into hospital. Mm -hmm. So people now who are hospitalized have been unvaccinated. People ending up in ICU have been unvaccinated, right? So the notion that, uh, you know, vaccines don't work or there's still this conspiracy theory, the vaccines work incredibly well. So why would you not want to take a proven therapy to, to take a chance on some outlier that, you know, maybe down the road, maybe there is a special property to this drug? But we don't know that now. right now, and we do have proven therapy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll leave it there for time, but thanks for the yeah. clarification. <laughs> we appreciate it.
3: Okay, you bet, sir.
0: That's Dr. Ted Jablonski. Dr. J. we call him around these parts, our on-call family physician. The PGA Champions Tour makes its way back to Calgary with the legendary Shaw Charity Classic after taking last year off thanks to COVID. Joining us with details of this year's event is media director for the Shaw Charity Classic, Chris Darnan. Good morning to you, Chris. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. I know you got your shot charity classic hat on, but just to back things up a bit, because earlier we had the chance to speak with Olympian uh, Erica Weeb, who just made her way back to town. You uh, were very much involved. When did you get back from Tokyo? By the way, I
4: I was. I actually got back uh, Friday night, so um, my events kind of wrapped up on Thursday, and these games were a little bit different, where you know, twenty four hours after competition, they were. They were sending all the athletes home just due to the COVID restrictions. And so my events were wrapped up, and I kind of asked to come home and get, get a little bit of sleep before the Shaw here ramped up. So I saw Erica just before she uh, left for her flight in the Olympic Village and, um, you know, just a, a true champion and a great ambassador for Calgary.
0: All right. Yes. And glad to have her back. Glad to have you back in your synonymous with Shaw Charity Classic. You've been in the trenches uh, doing some great work and bringing some great competition to our city. So let's back it up. Uh, You know, when you look back in the past year or so, is there some extra excitement because everything is a back and and ticking and running this year?
4: I think so. You know, I think whether it's the Olympics or, you know, community events like the Shaw Charity Classic, it just gives people hope and something to look forward to. And and I think it's, you know, the critical role these events can play um, in building our communities back stronger is is absolutely the most important thing. And, you know, even when we couldn't play last year, we did you know, stay true to our commitment of, of making a positive impact on, on youth-based charities. There's 233 youth-based charities that we support across the province. And, um, you know, we were able to raise $12 million with those charities last year. And, you know, and I just think it's so important to make that connection with the charities and, and have the other part of our mission of, of having world-class golfers in our city. So, you know, to, to get a safe return to, to the tee is, is our, our number one priority this year and getting the ball in air and you know, we're, we're still very respectful of, of the COVID restrictions in the community and um, making sure we protect our community at large with a lot of international visitors here. So we've restricted our, our spectator numbers to 2,000 each day. Um, but, you know, having a safe return is, is the key, and we're going to get a ball in the air this weekend and, and have a lot of fun
0: out here. Oh, sounds fantastic. You're a little bit more normal for us and for golf fans. You, you really can't beat it in the city. So let's underscore, well, first of all, can we still get tickets and it's your chance to name drop because you want to, if you have those uh, <laughs> remaining ducats available to go and check it out, uh, give us some of the names that are going to they're gonna get people excited, Chris.
4: Well, I think the big thing this year is it's all about, you know, Mike Weir and um, Mike turned 50 last year, and he um, was, you know, chomping at the bit to get up here and, and play uh, professional golf back in Canada, so he had to wait next year, but you know, so Mike, Mike's our headliner. We've got a couple of World Golf Hall of Famers and B J Singh and Bernhard Langer. Um, you know, they were out here practicing yesterday. Stephen Ames, uh, Calgary boy, there he he's had a great year as well. So, um, you know, those those are going to kind of be our, our big headliners for sure. We've got a lot of uh, you know um, crowd favorites and Fred Funk and Billy Andre, guys who really like to you know have a good time with the crowd and. Um, Tell a few jokes and <laughs> and entertain. So we do have lots of tickets still available each day. Um, you know we've had to do something a little bit different where we're trying to, you know, minimize transactions at the door and and um, also with our food and beverage on site. So we did a one-time, um, one time, one one price uh, premium ticket pass where you know all of your uh, food and beverage is inclusive with your with your gate entry. So mm-hmm. um, there is tickets online at shotcharityclassic.com and. Um, yeah, we encourage people to come on out. It's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be nice and warm, so we'll have a lot of fun.
0: Real feather in the cap for the city of Calgary. Great for golf fans and great for the community with that charity component. Thanks so much, Chris. We appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You too. That's Chris Dornan, media director from the Shaw Charity Classic. As Chris mentioned, it's ShawCharityClassic.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
2: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.